0: Someone in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me.' But Jesus said, "'Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you?' He said to them, "'Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions.' Then he told them a parable. "'The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, "'What should I do? "'I have no place to store my crops.' Then he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves. But are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. 32 years ago this month, I became your pastor. In 32 years, Gail and I, and our boys when they were growing up, made a lot of trips down to East Texas to check on Gail's mom and dad and my mom and dad. We don't go nearly so often now that all four of them have died. My brother and sister and their spouses still live at my hometown. We were there Thanksgiving, haven't been since then. From our garage to my mom and dad's place was exactly 310 miles. First part's fairly easy. You start down the Indian nation turnpike, speed limit's 75. You can set your cruise control on 76 and hurry on down toward Texas. Just before you get to Paris, Indian Nation Turnpike ends, but you're still on a four-lane highway on into Paris, so that's not bad. There's a loop around Paris, and then things get a little more difficult. Two-lane highway, from there, a long way. You enter Red River County. Of course, the Red River divides Texas and Oklahoma, and so that county just east of Paris is called Red River County. Now, from Paris to Mount Pleasant, is 50 miles. And during that 50-mile trek of little two-lane roads, you have five little towns, only one of them big enough to have a stoplight. The Texans call it Bogota, Bogoda, Texas. Now these five little towns don't look very prosperous to me. Some of them have junk piled up in the yard, old cars propped up that haven't been cranked in years, rusting, falling apart. I decided to look up the median income, median family income, just a little under $23,000 a year. But they have more stuff than they can get into their houses. And so there seems to be a very profitable business down there, storage bins. Storage bins just lined up, and I'm assuming all of them full of People's stuff. This passage today is about how we deal with stuff. How important it is to accumulate, how important it is to share. I've underlined four things I think are very important in Luke's account. This is another thing that Luke describes as having taken place from the time Jesus set his face to go from Galilee down to Judea and the capital city of Jerusalem. Ten significant chapters here in Luke's gospel, and this is another one of those places. Suddenly somebody cries out in the crowd, hey, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. Jesus refuses. No, no, I didn't come to be judge or arbitrator among you. Let me tell you a story. Four things in the story. Number one, the land of a rich man brought forth bountifully. I have eight really good commentaries on Luke's gospel and these these are commentators, professors who spent 40 years, many of them concentrating on one of the 66 books of the Bible. Luke is it for them and then they write huge big fat commentaries on the gospel of Luke and all of them say in Jesus' time it was understood that first of all, If it rained at the right time if the Sun shined at the right time and you had a really good crop it's because God was good to you and if God was good to you then it means you're supposed to share if God is good to you if God gives to you abundantly you are supposed to share do we understand that every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord Every good and perfect thing. If you start your day with Channel 8, ABC, every morning, Monday through Friday, you say Good Morning America. One of the anchors there is Robin Roberts. Robin has recently written about her mother. So, my mother's 88 years old. She's a part of that great generation that endured, survived World War II, and rebuilt their lives. She said, my mother was born in 1924 in Akron, Ohio. She's 88 now. She said, my father was working really hard. I was a five-year-old when the stock market crashed, and the company where my father had worked, severely hurt by the Depression, had to start laying people off, and my father was one of those who lost his job. Now, the way my dad dealt with that was to start drinking, and then he drank more and more and more he became an alcoholic my mother had to get out and try to find a job and she finally found enough places she could do housework that she could bring home a dollar a day we got through the 1930s, she said got through the 1930s and things started to turn around a little bit robin says that her her father uh, her grandfather sorry got into an aa kind of program got his life turned around, became a contributing member of the family again, so that Robin's mother did, in fact, have opportunity to go to Howard University. At Howard University, she met a really outstanding young man. They were making plans to get married, and then suddenly he became a part of the World War II effort. He became one of those famous Tuskegee Airmen, flew during the war, one of the all-black groups in that war. When the war was over, he stayed in the Air Force and finally was retired as a full colonel. Robin said, my mother lived at Air Force bases all over the world as my dad was transferred from place to place to place, and often she was the only black face in the officer's lounge. Her husband, my dad, Robin said, one of the very few black officers back at that time, Nonetheless, she said, my mom was a person of great faith and courage. And if she was having a particularly difficult time when my dad was off flying somewhere and everybody else was treating her as if she didn't really belong, she'd go to the base chapel. She taught herself to play piano just by ear, but she could sit there and play hymns that she had known since she was a child. Finally, she said, I know my mother. Of course, growing up, seeing what a strong person of faith she was, how much she and my dad loved each other all those years. And then Robin writes that her father died. They'd been married more than 50 years. He died in October. And Robin said, "I, after the funeral, I said to my mom, you need to come spend Thanksgiving with me. It's going to be tough, these first holidays without dad. Come to New York and spend Thanksgiving with me. She said... Diane Sawyer asked me what I was going to be doing for Thanksgiving, and I said, well, my mom's coming up. You know Dad just died a month ago, and and Mom's coming up to have the holiday with me. And Diane said, hey, you two come over and have Thanksgiving with us. So I asked my mom, I said, you don't have to do this. I know it's been a tough month. She said, I'd love to. And so we went to Diane Sawyer's house. And when we sat down to eat, Diane suggested that anybody that want to could just say briefly what Thanksgiving meant to them. I leaned over and whispered to my mom, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. But surely enough, as one after the other mentioned what Thanksgiving means to them, she said when it came to my mom, very quietly, she sang Bye and by when the morning comes. When The saints of God are gathered home. And we all knew she was grateful. Grateful for this life and grateful that my father was in the eternity of God and that by God's grace she would be there as well. So when you're blessed, how do you handle your blessings? Well, let's look at the fellow in the story. I underlined a few words here. I, I, my, I, I, my, I, my, I, my. That's the conversation he has with himself. Talking only to himself and all these first person pronouns. Aren't you amazed at what Americans will offer themselves up to just to be on television? I mean, sometimes when Gail and I are having dinner, we turn on America's Funniest Videos. Bergeron makes absolute mockery of these folks. He says, these are nincompoops. These are idiots. These folks have no brain at all. And people just keep sending in their videos. Sending It's unbelievable. And I've made enough hospital calls through the years. I see one of these, and I say, broken hip, broken leg, broken shoulder. Could be broken neck. I mean... It's unbelievable. Well, there's a new documentary out about a couple named David and Jackie Siegel. Someone decided to make a documentary of their lives because they claimed to have the largest single residence in America, in Orlando, Florida. So they made a documentary. Things were really rolling for them back in 2005, 6, 7. This fellow was selling timeshares, Any of you see Glengarry Glen Ross? You saw that sweat tank, these guys making those phone calls, making those phone calls, cold-calling people all over America, trying to sell them timeshares. That's what this fellow had. These pressure tanks where people were calling, 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 and in the early 2000s, they were making a lot of money. Well, the Seagulls decided that even though they had a house of 26,000 square feet, That's 10 times as big as the average American home. 26,000 square feet. It wasn't big enough to hold all their stuff. So they built a house 90,000 square feet. And this documentary shows the way they lived their lives. And then 2008 came. And the real estate market in Florida... And the seagulls lost everything. And they allowed the cameras to keep running, to keep running and show. And the last scene you see is David Seagull saying, nothing makes me happy anymore. I, my, I, my, we, our. Hmm? Jesus said, that's not the way. My followers are supposed to live. They're supposed to be a different way. Number three, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your psyche, some translate it soul, some just simply life, your very life will be required of you. And all these possessions you've gathered up, whose will they be? I kept thinking of A Christmas Carol, an old Ebenezer Scrooge who's lived for himself and to himself all of his life and finally has these visions, these visitors in the night who show him a ghost of Christmas past, a ghost of Christmas present, a ghost of Christmas future. And Ebenezer sees himself deceased and people divvying up his stuff. The chambermaids coming in and ripping down the curtains from around his bed, taking his spoon and fork, anything of value. Whose will these things be? This man is talking only to himself. I, my, I, my, I, my, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger barns. But God's listening. No one else may have heard this conversation, but God heard this conversation the man was having with himself and now speaks himself. Dr. Paul Waddell is a professor of religion up at St. Norbert's in Wisconsin. He said that when he was a boy, his mother and father took him to church and taught him very carefully how he was supposed to orient his life. He said, particularly my mother uh, kept saying to me, Humility, Paul. Humility. But somehow I thought that word meant think less of yourself. Think less of yourself. And I didn't want to think less of myself. I wanted to be better than anybody at everything I did. And I'd spent all the first part of my life doing my best to beat somebody at whatever we were doing at the time. Whether it was athletics, whether it was academics, I wanted to be number one. And I didn't care who was number two and who was number 37. I just wanted to be number one. And guess what? As a young adult, I was miserable. I was a miserable human being. And somebody suggested to me, I might go on a weekend spiritual retreat. Didn't want to go. But the person was pretty insistent. I decided to give it a try. And so I got there, and I thought the music was eh not particularly inspiring. Preaching, boring, dull. I could hardly wait to get through the first couple of sessions and get back to the little meager room that I was assigned to. But as I got back to that little room late one evening and stretched out on the bed, what I saw on the wall opposite me was a crucifix. I started to go to sleep, brush my teeth, on my pajamas. I could see it. There was enough light coming through the window. I could see that crucifix up there on the wall. Couldn't get it out of my vision. close my eyes, I'd peek. It was looking at me. It was looking at me. The next session, the next morning, the priest suddenly seemed to be a far better preacher. Everything he said seemed to be right at me every hymn seemed to have a line, a phrase, speaking right to me, to my deepest heart. I heard the priest talking about this man for others. This man whom God sent. This man in whom God Almighty was present. Who was a man for others. And the priest helped me understand that humility is not thinking less of oneself. It's thinking of oneself Less. But only when we let God be, only when we ask God to be the center, only when we decide to share whatever good and perfect things have come to us with those who have less, only when we start doing agape, when we are willing to put ourselves out for the well being of another. Does life become all that it was promised to be? That abundant life, that wonderful life. Dr. Waddell says, I'm a professor of religion. I'm trying to help young men and young women find the way. I found it that weekend. The priest and the others who'd come on that spiritual retreat helped me find the way. That crucifix led me to the way. Number four, these things you've accumulated, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Now you and I know that being rich toward God means a couple of things. We've already been told a few weeks ago a man steeped in the Torah, and Jesus agreed. The two greatest commandments, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We must worship that one with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is sort of like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, or as you would that others would do to you, do ye even so to them. I mean, that's the way to be rich toward God. So we sang last month, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. So we begin with this undergirding of the grace of God. All have fallen short, Paul reminded us. We all need to rely on the unmerited love and favor of the Almighty that's made flesh and blood for us in Jesus Christ. That's where we start with understanding that just as we are, God loves us. Will we receive that gift or reject it? Will we open that door and invite Him in or not? But having opened the door and invited Him in, then we are to do agape. We coming to ordination or ask are you moving on toward perfection in your will are you starting every day and ending every day asking that God's will be your will and that what you will you do the Olympics have been fun haven't they I've really enjoyed them this week there's so many wonderful stories that have come out of the Olympics this week I was working on this sermon early in the week, and right after Monday night, I had a great story about Missy Franklin. Hadn't she been amazing, the 17-year-old swimmer? Just amazing. Missy still lives in her hometown in Colorado, still lives with her mom and dad. This was a story about her coach and a story about Missy and her family. Monday, she had to swim... 200 meters and then she had 13 minutes to get ready to swim one of the signature events, finals if you were watching you saw her swim the 200 meters she had 13 minutes this coach, who's been coaching her since she was 7 years old told her to go get into the cooling down pool and slowly swim for 13 minutes you'd think, no, go sit down No, get in the pool. Cool yourself down. Slow your heart rate again. Slow your heart rate again. Get all that lactic acid out of your muscles. Slowly swim. Come back and get ready to go again. And Missy won the gold. In that second big race of the night, this 17-year-old girl went past every other competitor. Her coach, Todd Schmitz, He owned a lawnmower service. Reputable business, but not fulfilling to him. He struggled about what he should do, what should he do. And somebody said, Todd, you've always loved sports. You love swimming. Why don't you coach swimming? His first full day as a swimming coach, a little seven-year-old girl came into his class and said her name was Missy Franklin one of his starfish. And her family didn't move her halfway across America to some big-name coach. She's still swimming for Todd Schmitz that she started swimming for when she was seven. If Todd told her, get in the pool and make these slow, slow laps for the next 13 minutes, you'll be ready to swim. That's what she did. But after the goals ceremony, This is what Missy said. Remember what we're looking for. The grace of God that we receive, which then enables us to move on. This is what she said. How did you feel, Missy? I mean, when you got on the blocks, ready to go, you've just had a major event 13 minutes ago, you're 17 years old. This is the biggest stage of your life. And she said, I saw my mom and dad And I knew they would know I was going to do the best I could. And I knew they were going to love me.